Chapter 2 It was a crystal clear night with a new moon. A shiny sliver was floating just above the horizon in the dark blue blanket. If you stared at it long enough, you would see the outline of the dark side of the moon, but in one simple glance, only the illuminated part was visible to the eye. On any given night, that would have been a cool thing to observe, but that night, I was on a mission, trying to get my girl to the ER to figure out what was going on. The interstate turned from southbound to a westward direction. It brought you over the Des Moines River, and you could see the hospital on the north side of the interstate. For years, I drove this route to get to work in the ER at Mercy Hospital. I never paid any attention to the structure or placement of the hospital building at all. That night, I noticed how tall and prominent it stood. The helipad on top of it was lit up like a candlestick. I knew that it meant that the helicopter was on an inbound approach. I turned onto the road that led us to the front door of the ER. The large spotlights surrounding the hospital plastered the outside walls with bright lights, making it look like a beacon of hope in the darkened night. The parking lot was almost empty. Thank God, honey, I said. I don't think it's really busy tonight. Good, she responded, as she turned her head my way and smiled. I guess we will be home earlier than we thought, she continued hopefully. I parked about 50 feet away from the ER entrance, turned off the ignition, grabbed my phone, and stepped out the truck. I walked around the front, my eyes aimed at Becky, and as I reached her side, we never lost eye contact. I opened her door, and as she started to glide out from her seat, I grabbed her hand to support her. With our hands entangled, we walked towards the entrance of the ER, nervous but determined to figure out what was going on. Before we reached the doors, I slowed down and softly pulled back on Becky's arm. She stopped. I leaned toward her, our lips connected, then released without a sound. The glass doors opened as we got closer to the entrance. We walked through the hallway and past the security guard's desk. It was too early for security, so it was unmanned. Normally a security guard would sit at that post in the evenings after midnight. Only two people were in the ER waiting room. Although sitting in almost opposite corners of the waiting area, they were both staring at the same TV. This waiting room could hold up to 50-plus people, and at times, during the weekend, all the seats would be filled. Every exam room would be occupied, and frequently it would be so busy that patients had to be placed in ER beds in the hallways. As we got closer to the front desk, the triage nurse looked up. She recognized me right away and she smiled. Hey Roy, what are you doing here, she asked. I explained our reason for coming to the ER. Cough and increased fatigue, she confirmed while her pen was endorsing that statement on paper. We are pretty slow right now, she explained. Which ER doc do you want? At any given time, there would be about six to nine ER providers working. Divided between three ER pods, each was about 10 to 12 rooms. I was pleased to see that Dr. Kawamara was working. I worked with him frequently, and besides that, he was also the medical director for the fire department. We will put you in room 11, the bigger one, she winked. Okay, I responded with a smile. We followed her through the secure doors into the ER as she continued to make small talk. I knew she could sense the tension and that both Becky and I were worried about what was going on. We had followed the triage nurse through the hallway, my hand securely holding Becky's. This was the first time I walked through these hallways as the spouse of a patient, not as an employee. It made me feel somewhat uncomfortable to be on the other side of the spectrum. Room 11 was one of the largest rooms in the ER. It had large glass doors and was normally used for critical patients, like those that were in cardiac arrest, had a stroke, or had been in a trauma. The whole ER team would fit in this room, and the large glass doors would allow the medical staff to keep a constant eye on the patient inside. Becky sat down on the edge of the bed while the nurse handed her a gown. That guy over there can help you put this on, she said smiling while her head made a nudging movement into my direction. She left the room closing the curtains along the glass doors to assure privacy. Just let them know when you are ready, Roy. These things are so confusing with the opening to the back, I said, as I helped Becky into her gown. Becky lay down in the bed and she started to cough immediately. 
I reached over to the head of the bed and found the lever to release the top part from the bed frame. I squeezed it and, as it made a sudden click, it became movable. I continued to pull to raise the head of her bed to a more upright position. Let me know when it is high enough, sweetie, I said, as I continued to slowly raise the head of the bed. That's good, she said. Thanks, babe. I let go of the lever and the head of the bed stopped moving. I leaned over, landed my lips softly onto hers and kissed them. I love you, sweetie. Her eyes sparkled with joy. Her mouth curved to a genuine smile. I sat down on the bed right next to her, holding her hand. A sudden knock on the metal door frame followed by the curtains being jerked open as the glass door moved to the side. What are you guys doing here? It was good to see that our ER nurse was Emily, since she actually knew us both. I worked with her many times, and Becky had met her on many occasions. Emily walked over to the computer screen, flipped the keyboard down from its upright position, swiped her ID across the sensor device, and the computer screen came to life. She asked Becky all kinds of questions about her symptoms, her medical background, her family history, and her current medications. After she finished the computerized intake, she flipped the keyboard back up and swiped her ID once again in front of the sensor to securely lock the computer. She moved to the corner of the room to the cabinet with all the supplies that she needed to start an IV and draw blood for the lab. I knew the routine. I had done it so many times. I sat back down on the bed facing Becky. My right hand reached out for hers and she gladly grabbed it as it provided her with a sense of security and stability. They're just going to start an IV, draw some blood, and give you some fluids to make you feel better, okay, sweetie? Becky nodded with a smile. The curtain suddenly moved again as Dr. Kawamara stepped into the room. He was of average height, probably around 5 foot 10. Black hair, brown eyes, normal build, and tanned skin. He had a somewhat complex last name, so most nurses would simply call him Dr. K. Upon entering the room, his lips curled to a smile. Hey, Roy, I did not expect to see you here tonight. You must be Becky, he said, as he reached out his right hand towards her. The invitation was not left unanswered. Becky extended her hand to shake his. My name is Dr. Kawamara, but most just call me Dr. K. It is nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Becky responded. I work with your husband quite a bit. He is a good man, he said, as their hands let go. After he completed a wide array of standard questions about her current health situation and her main complaint, he pulled his stethoscope from around his neck, leaned forward closer to Becky, then placed the diaphragm on her back. Take a couple of deep breaths in and out for me, please, he asked. Becky's chest expanded, paused, then decreased in size as she exhaled. Dr. Kawamura kept placing the diaphragm of the stethoscope on different locations on her back to listen to all lung fields. He pulled both earpieces from the stethoscope out from his ears and folded it back around his neck. Although you are coughing a lot, your lungs sound pretty clear, he told her. With a very gentle, calm tone of voice, he explained that he would order a breathing treatment to see if that would help with the cough. He was also going to order a chest x-ray. He is nice, Becky said after he left the room. Yes, he is, I confirmed with a nod and a smile. I continue to have that uneasy feeling in the bottom of my stomach. That feeling you have when you haven't had breakfast for a while, and you get really hungry, an almost nauseous feeling. I tried not to display my worries, tried to cover it up, but Becky was too smart. She knew me too well. I will be fine, babe. Don't worry, she exclaimed with a big smile. Emily started an IV, drew several tubes of blood, and after she was done, she placed the tubes in a plastic bag with a large biohazard symbol on it and explained that she had to send them off to the lab, but that she would be right back. Within minutes after she left, she walked back into the room holding a green sheet of paper in her hand that I was very familiar with. It was the official transfer form that we as nurses needed to have if we were to transfer a patient from the ER to another department, such as the imaging department. Okay, Becky, she said. I'm going to take you to the x-ray department for a chest x-ray, okay? Becky raised both her hands up from the bed and gave her two thumbs up. Emily placed her foot on the big lever at the bottom of the bed. She pushed it down. A loud snapping noise and a small jerking motion confirmed that the wheels were no longer locked. 
After opening the curtains, I placed my hand on the aluminum frame of the glass sliding door and pushed it to the left. With my right hand placed on the metal bar at the foot of the bed, I started to pull. Simultaneously, Emily pushed. Out of the room, then a sharp left turn, followed by a 90-degree right turn, then stopping for the double door that was closed. A quick slap on the large round red button on the wall, and both swung open, one moving inward, the other outward. We continued our journey and maneuvered Becky's bed through different hallways to the imaging department, radiology. It was not far from the ER. It had four x-ray rooms, two CT scanners, four ultrasound rooms, and two interventional rooms for specialized procedures. We started to slow down the bed, and Emily instructed me to place it along the hallway wall to the right. I will be right back, she said. She disappeared into the office to the right of us. As she opened the door, I noticed two people sitting behind computers with black and white images on their screens. A collage of bones and joints from different body sections. I reached out to Becky, placed my right hand on her left cheek, leaned over, and kissed her lips. No words were spoken, but we both knew. We knew our concerns, our worries, and our fear of the unknown. We both tried to hide it for the sake of each other. Emily stepped back out of the room. She pointed to the door right behind us with an oversized one in the center. We are going into that room, guys. We moved Becky's bed from the hallway into the x-ray room. In the middle of it was a thin, long table made of hard plastic, no mattress, no pillow, just a sheet. Above the table in the center, a device that looked like an oversized camera pointing down at the thin, long table. A young female with long blonde hair, bundled in a ponytail to the side, was standing behind a safety wall. This lead-infused protective barrier was open on one side, so the x-ray technician was able to communicate with the patient without receiving any radiation from the x-ray machine. She was typing on a keyboard, putting information into the computer system. As we rolled the bed inside the x-ray room, she stepped backward, away from the computer, into the opening of the protective wall. Just leave her bed right there, she instructed. We will do this x-ray in an upright standing position. One of the benefits of going to a hospital with family members where you work is that you are allowed to stay or even help with certain procedures. Emily made a note on the chart stating, Husband Roy is ER nurse here. As a result, the radiology tech allowed me to stay in the room while she was taking the x-rays. After she was done putting Becky's information into the system, she asked Becky to come out of the bed. She positioned Becky with her back against a device that was mounted on the wall. The x-ray machine was right in front of her. She helped, placing both her hands with straight arms on top of the machine. This was done to make sure that nothing would be between the x-ray machine and her chest, obscuring the view. After the tech stepped back behind the safety wall, she instructed me to do the same. When I was standing right behind her, she told Becky, Take a deep breath in and hold it. Becky's chest expanded to a larger than normal size. At the top of that movement, she stopped breathing, holding her breath. A sudden loud clicking noise followed by a hissing sound confirmed the completion of the x-ray. Breathe normal, she instructed. As Becky released the air from her lungs, she immediately started to cough violently, as if something were stuck in her lungs that wouldn't come out. Are you okay? the x-ray tech asked. Becky grasped for air and the coughing diminished slowly. I am fine, she assured us. One more and we will be done, the x-ray tech explained as she walked over to help Becky adjust to a different position. Every chest x-ray consists of two images, one known as frontal, the other is a lateral image, from the side. This is done to assure that all areas of the lungs are visible to the radiologist for interpretation. While the tech was helping Becky, I leaned to my left and tried to get a glance of the x-ray that was just taken. The image was still downloading, and the screen continued to be dark green, nothing there. After the second x-ray was completed, the x-ray tech helped us getting back to the ER room. The curtains of ER room 11 were still open. The TV filled the room with the soft mumbling. Emily and the x-ray tech secured the bed into the same position as before we left. While Emily placed the blood pressure cuff around Becky's upper arm, the x-ray tech started to place the heart monitor leads back on Becky's chest. 
She was holding four cords in her left hand. Each cord had a different color, red, black, green, and white. She pulled the protective layer from the sticky side, and as she started to place them in the correct location on Becky's chest, I remembered. Smoke over fire, clouds over grass, black over red, white over green. The correct placements of the EKG leads on the chest. She tapped the screen with her index finger. It magically turned on and the blood pressure cuff started to make a mechanical sound as it was getting larger around Becky's arm. The cardiac rhythm line suddenly came to life on the screen. We will get those x-rays read as soon as possible, the tech explained. She turned around with one swift movement, like a model showing a new dress, turning around at the end of the runway. She got a hold of the curtains and, as she removed herself from the ER room, pulled them shut. The room settled into silence once everyone was gone. Only the soft sound of the TV was noticeable. The ER seemed awkwardly quiet. I spent so many nights here where silence was far from the norm, but tonight, it was one of the very few nights it would have been great to work. Not too many patients, not too much commotion, enough time to provide true patient care for those in need. Becky was still coughing frequently, but as long as she sat upright, it was noticeably better. I raised myself from the chair and moved towards her bed. Becky smiled, her eyes shimmering like bright little diamonds reflecting in the overhead fluorescent lights. She tapped her left hand on the bed, right next to her, directing me to sit down there. After I sat down, I placed my hand on her knee, our eyes connected, and our smiles synchronized in their motion. Her silence was speaking words of fear and concern. The sudden sound of the curtains being pushed to the side interrupted our togetherness. Dr. Kawamura walked into the room. There are times when people provide more information by not speaking. Their eyes, their body movements, and their postures reveal much more than any word could express. He and I worked many nights together and, when you are down in the trenches with a person, knee-deep in blood, tears, and guts, you learn to read that unspoken language. As he walked into our room, I noticed it. Something was wrong. He stood there at the end of Becky's bed, carefully selecting his words in his head. He knew he had to tread slowly and patiently. He started to explain the results of the chest x-ray. He mentioned two words that I fully understood and never expected to hear tonight. Suspicious appearance. The chest x-ray revealed a suspicious appearance in the left upper lobe of the left lung. He clarified that nothing was certain until further testing was completed. I knew that tonight was not going to be a short night. On the contrary, it was going to be a long one. Dr. Kawamura continued to explain the next steps that needed to be done, but my mind started to tune out the sound of his voice. I started to realize the massive impact of this ER visit. Our lives would never be the same. From this moment on, not hers, not mine, not that of our boys, everything changed in a split second. This sudden realization caused my stomach to be in a knot turned upside down, as if it was rammed into a meat grinder, without regret or warning, causing an uncontrollable shiver through my body. The pounding in my chest sounded like drums pacing loudly in my ears, alarming me that my cardiac muscle was working overtime. My oxygen intake became rapid, mental focus fading, turning inward. I wondered how we got here. My hand on Becky's knee gently clutching, seconds became hours. My mind slowly reclaimed focus, my attention aimed at him, he stood motionless in the middle of the room, staring at us with an aimless and hollow gaze, saying nothing. As my pupils regained more focus, I noticed the uneasiness in his eyes that declared the state of emergency as I was expecting. He knew how bad this was. He knew that I understood the severity of this situation from which almost no escape was possible. Only a few blessed ones were able to avoid the fatal grip of the expected end result. Slowly I turned my head as if I were trying not to alert anyone of my movements. My attention towards her, our eyes locked, the room faded sounds disappeared, just her and I. She was thrown into this mess, unwillingly brandmarked. She did not want to be here. She did not belong here. 
Her pupils sucked me into the depths of her soul, and although no words were spoken, their screams were gruesomely loud. A gentle squeeze from her hand into mine confirmed our connection, her trust in me, and her fear for what might come her way. A disastrous future lurking from above, like a hawk ready to dive from unknown heights to pierce his claws into his prey, from which no escape was possible, slowly and painfully ripping the life from the helpless victim. Becky disrupted the silence by asking if this could still be as simple as pneumonia or histoplasmosis. She remained confused about the severity of the situation, pleasantly unaware of the horrific events coming her direction. Or was this a way for her to put it aside, deep down inside, a defense mechanism? Dr. Kawamura provided us with the proper medical response that nothing could be diagnosed from an x-ray alone. Further testing was needed to determine the actual severity of the situation. A CT scan would be more effective in bringing clarity of the possible cause of the suspicious appearance. His eyes showed deep concern and care. I think it will be best if we admit you to the hospital so we can complete all necessary testing as soon as possible, he said. And if we need to do more research, it can be done faster when you are impatient. We might need to do a PET scan and a biopsy if the CT scan shows the same problem. Becky remained soundless, her voice silent, her body motionless. I was aware of her trembling soul inside. I sensed it. Knowingly, she placed her fears into the deep, dark parts of her subconscious, putting it away deep down and unwilling to give in to the probable outcome of this horrific disaster she was thrown into.